0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, much has been made of rights in our country. Much has been made of the rights that we have as Americans, as the rights that we have as individuals. And I must be the first in line to say, I'm thankful for our rights. I'm I'm thankful for the rights that I have as an American, that I have to be able to speak freely um, to you each week, to to speak what's on my heart and mind, what I believe uh, the scriptures teach us. I'm thankful that we have the right to assemble freely, uh, that we can each week come together and we're not afraid of the cops coming and breaking up our little meeting. Uh, I'm thankful that we have these and many, many more rights. And it seems that in a country like ours, uh, there's constant discussion about the rights and the lack of rights that people have or should have. And in a country like ours, uh, with the decisions that the founders made uh, they made some key decisions on how our government should function and how it should protect the rights of individuals in this country. In fact, uh, the Constitution, uh, after it was ratified, after it was accepted by all the states, they did something. They amended it. They changed it. Did you know our Constitution can be changed? It's called an amendment. And they can be amended. The, I'm Wake up, folks. It's okay. I know you're daydreaming about the lake and the boat you don't have, but it can be amended, amended, and it was quickly amended. It was amended by something that we should all be thankful for. It was amended by what's called the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights, um, it, it's 10 amendments, and it gives you these rights. It gives you the right to speech. It gives freedom of the press. It gives you the right to assemble which we're taking advantage of that right, and we do weekly. Uh, it gives you a freedom of religion, that you can, you can uh, practice religion as best as you see fit. It gives you the right to bear arms. and Some people think that means uh, to wear tank tops. Um, it gives you the right to due process. It gives you the right to a jury trial. It gives you certain rights to your possessions and, and it, life, a lawful search and seizure of your items. It gives you rights when it comes to cruel and unusual punishment. And the most important right of all is that you do not have to quarter soldiers at your house. All right, there we go. It was a couple of people laughing. This was written a long time ago. Obviously, that's not anything any of us are concerned about is any kind of militia or some kind of soldiers uh, taking up residence in our home. But these are all rights, and I think we should be grateful and thankful for these rights, this Bill of Rights. Now, there's two that I didn't mention. One is the the rights of the states, the 10th Amendment, but the 9th Amendment is a particularly interesting amendment because what they started thinking was there might come a day and time in history where if your rights aren't spelled out in the constitution they might just take those rights that are spelled out in the constitution and say those are your rights you don't have these other rights you have just the ones that are spelled out in the constitution so they created a catch-all amendment the ninth amendment and it basically says uh that the the ninth amendment to the united states constitution which is part of the bill of rights addresses rights retained by the people that are not specifically enumerated in the constitution So any rights that you have that aren't specifically enumerated in the Constitution, you still have those rights under the Bill of Rights, the Ninth Amendment. In modern-day lingo, this is how we would say the Ninth Amendment. We would say, I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as I don't infringe on the rights of anyone else. That's the Ninth Amendment. I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as I don't infringe upon the rights of anyone else. Have you ever heard this kind of argument? Parents, have you ever heard this argument from your kids? Employers, have you heard this argument from your employees? Have you heard this argument used in court recently? Have you heard this argument? I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as I don't infringe upon the rights of others. Now, it's kind of curious to me because one of the things that comes with rights, and parents, you know this, everything that comes with rights is responsibilities. Whenever you get a right, you also have a responsibility. So for instance, if you get the right to drive a vehicle, you also have responsibilities, correct? When a kid reaches 16... And in the state of Colorado, we are in the midst of this with two of our kids. We're learning about how to get the right to drive a car. And the right to drive a car is much more difficult to get now than when I was 16. Because when I was 16, I went down to the driver's license place when I was 15 and a half, got a permit, and then six months later showed up and they just assumed I'd been practicing with my parents in the car. I took a written test again. I got in the car with a person who supposedly knew more than me about driving this vehicle, and I drove them around town. And they said, pass or fail. I walked out of there, and I had my driver's license. Next day, I could drive anywhere I wanted without anybody else in the car. Or I could drive anywhere I wanted with as many people in the car as I wanted. And I'm sure my parents were thinking, I hope he takes this right seriously. I hope he understands the responsibilities that come with this right. In fact, they didn't just sit around hoping. They talked to me. They explained to me. Not only did my parents do this, the school did this as well. They had driver's education, which I took. I enrolled in driver's education at my school because I got a 10% discount on my insurance. And when you're a young male, that's like $10 off a month because it's like 100 bucks to add a kid who's male to your insurance. We just found that out. <laughs> well, I took that, and they had scary movies in driver's ed. They had scary movies showing teenage drivers who wrecked the car and killed themselves and all the passengers. They had scary movies of kids making bad decisions who didn't understand the responsibilities that came with the right. And maybe they did understand the responsibilities, but they forgot or they neglected them or they just kind of zoned them out for a moment and then those responsibilities that they neglected led to injury and harm. Now, parents know this, right? Whatever right you give your kid is tied to responsibilities. So it makes me wonder, with our Bill of Rights, where's the Bill of Responsibilities? Did you ever think about that? Where's the Bill of Responsibilities? Perhaps our Founding Fathers should have written that out too. Now, if you go back and you read their personal correspondence, their letters, and you just kind of rifle through the Founding Fathers and the things they wrote about this you will see that time and time and time and time and time and time again, they were very concerned with the new experiment they were starting, the great American experiment. They were concerned with this democracy. In fact, John Adams, and I, gotta have, I have another quote from him, but this one is a different one. He said, democracy is all it is is mob rule. Democracy is mob rule, where 51% of majority can take away the rights of the 49%. Now, what's to stop that in a democracy? What's to stop 51% of the citizens taking away the rights of 49% of the citizens? Well, the Founding Fathers, the answer was responsibilities. John Adams said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. John Adams was our second president. And John Adams believed that the only way a democracy could exist, the only way that it would succeed, was if the people were moral and religious. In other words, what undergirded the Bill of Rights, what undergirded the Constitution, what undergirded the the Declaration of Independence and all these early documents, what undergirded these was a particular worldview that the founding fathers took for granted. A worldview that they just assumed, and they assumed it on on good basis because everybody thought the world worked that way back then they assumed certain things they assumed that you everybody understood that rights meant you had responsibilities the only problem is they didn't anticipate 2015. They did not anticipate a time in our history where 25% of the populace, when asked about their religious affiliation, would say, I have none. They didn't ever anticipate a day where there would be people who were atheists. They didn't anticipate a day where people would be left to figure out morality on their own. In fact, if you look at the De- Declaration of Independence, it mentions a deity three times. And three times it says, These things are given to us from God. And it was this idea of natural law. Thomas Jefferson had studied under. A particular lawyer who was the father of natural and common law, arguing that natural and common law stemmed from the character and person of God that was revealed in the scriptures and also in nature. Now, before you get all crazy and go, Jefferson's amazing, he was also a deist, he was far from a Christian. He has his own Bible where he cut out all the supernatural occurrences of God and Jesus in the scriptures, because he didn't believe in those things. But on this thing, they all agreed that there needed to be a common morality that governed people. And most often throughout human history, in fact, up to their point in time, Always throughout human history, that morality had stemmed from religion. And they couldn't conceive of a world otherwise. Fast forward to 2015. And we find ourselves in a day and age where people argue what is moral, what is right. In fact, you can go to the Boulder campus of CU, and you can sit knee-to-knee with philosophers, people who have PhDs in philosophy, and they will argue against the rights of not just unborn babies, but newly born babies. They will argue that infanticide is, in fact, okay. Up until, and there's arguments amongst them as to how old a child should be before you decide to keep it. They will argue. Some will say it's within the first year you need to make the decision. Some will say it's within the first two years you need to make the decision. But there is arguments on the CU Boulder campus by people with PhDs in philosophy arguing the correct morality of killing not just unborn babies, but born babies. This confuses John Adams, I would suggest. This would be a worldview. This would be a time and place that John Adams and the founding fathers, if you pick them up from 1776 and drop them off today, they would scarce recognize the world. Now, that's not their fault. Well, and it's none of our fault. We'll blame it on another generation. What happened was all of these differences in technologies, in understanding, in history, in right and wrong, in religion exploded. And they didn't see it coming. In fact, we can't blame them, can we? How could you see it coming? How could you see the differences and changes in our society if you were in 1776? In fact, most people's jobs in 1776. What did most people do? Where did most people live? Where did most people grow up? Most people grew up and lived and worked on a farm at some point in their lives in 1776. In 1876, it wasn't much different, but fast forward to 1976, there's whole swaths of people that think the food comes from the grocery store. I wasn't one of those people, by the way. I did grow up in the city, but my granddad had a farm, and thankfully, I got to spend significant amount of time there. And I got to see what the farm and living on it was like. But my dad, we'll blame him because he's not here, he moved away from the farm. Question, any of you grow up on a farm here? Any of you, your kids left and aren't on a farm now? It's called the urbanization of modern society. Right now, thanks to KGCR, Praise Radio, I know that only 2% of the American population lives and works on a farm. Only 2%. 98% of them don't live and work around us. They live and work someplace else. They do something else besides being involved in the production of food. And I must say, that is an amazing thing. Because for the vast majority of human existence, people have been worried about one thing. Where's my food coming from? And nowadays, people don't have to worry about it. In fact, nowadays, they make documentaries slamming agriculture saying, well, look at these terrible production things that the ag people are doing. And my response to them is, why don't you move back to the farm and take charge of this? Oh, well, I, I want to make lots of money working in the big city or whatever. You see, things have radically changed and there's no way they could have seen it coming. Now, what if they had? What if they had In fact, their letters, they do seem to be nervous. They do seem to be concerned. They do seem to, you know, share some concerns about this new experiment. But those concerns never reached a fever pitch where they decided we need to create a bill of responsibilities. What if they had... What would be in that bill of responsibilities? What would they have written? Now, I don't have a clue. I got some opinions. But I think one of the places that we need to turn is to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the places we need to turn is we need to look and see what he says our responsibilities are, not just as American citizens, though that's important, but also our responsibilities as his followers. You see, if Adams is right, in this democracy was only made to govern moral and religious people, then here's what I know should be true of you and what should be true of me and people who follow Jesus. We should be the best citizens. If a democracy is only meant to govern moral and religious people, we should be the best citizens out there. You see, every other citizen who does not have morality and does not have religion, what do they have governing their behavior? Law. That's all they have. And the thing about law is it tells you how low you can go before you get in trouble. That's what law does. We have laws at our house, but really I want my kids not to live down by the law. I want them to live above the law. I want them to live lives where I go, thank God you're not just always over by the edge. How close to the edge can I get, Dad? How close to the edge can I get? What can I do until I'm in trouble? How far can I go? And part of me wants to go, you know, let's back up the laws. Let's put guardrails clear back here because I'm really tired of yanking you off the cliff. And if this is true that we are the moral and religious people, We should, and and we shouldn't just be breaking our arms, patting ourselves on the back. You know, I should be the best person here. I should be the best citizen. But we should lead by example. We should demonstrate to people the best way to live life. We should not be people that are flirting with, how much can I get away with before I get in trouble? We should be people that the scriptures say, live above reproach. Because there's lots of things that you can do and get away with that are not good choices, not wise decisions, and far from morally correct things to do. So I want to look at some words from Jesus real quick. And and in this this story, he is in uh, Jerusalem. He's actually in the temple. He has just entered in and he has walked in and been declared by the people as king. Now, one thing I know about these kind of political uh, tensions in the ancient world, when one person is declared king and there's another king who's still ruling, that king doesn't take the news well. Correct? And Jesus has been declared king. Trouble is... The Roman Empire moved away from kings into emperors, and Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, a little podunk outpost in the Roman Empire, because the emperor, the true seat of power, is in Rome. And Jesus shows up in Jerusalem. Now, this is problematic because the Romans have been a little frustrated and a little perplexed by the Jews for quite some time because the Jews are a little problematic. The Jews like to get rowdy every few years. Every few years, there's a new zealot that comes along. There's a new guy who thinks he's Messiah. And they get rowdy, and they go killing some Romans. And then the Romans have to come in and go killing some Jews. And every few years, another rebellion is put down by the Romans. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am Messiah. I am king. I'm the rightful king of the Jews. When you call him Messiah, when you call him Christ, the Greek word for Messiah, what you're calling him is king. What you're calling him is the anointed one. What you're calling him is the crowned one. And Jesus walks in actually rides in on a donkey. The people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he goes home for a night, goes camping again outside the city. Then he comes back to the city next day and he starts to have some arguments with the political and spiritual powers of Jerusalem. This is one of those arguments. We're going to jump in kind of midstream. There, there was an argument about marriage and resurrection. Uh, there was an argument about taxes and should they pay them? And Jesus answered, yeah, you should pay your taxes. That'll make the accountants who aren't here because they own boats and <laughs> lake homes. I had to pick on them even though we're not here. Um, that'll make them happy. And then there's this discussion. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, (laughs) they saw their opening because they didn't like the Sadducees. The Pharisees didn't like Sadducees and Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. Kind of like Lutherans and Catholics or, you know, those kind of, just kidding. If you're Lutheran or Catholic, we're glad you're here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, we're confused that you're here, but we're glad you're here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Uh, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law now notice they're talking about the law because if people aren't moral and they're not religious the only thing they have governing them is the law now obviously they're not talking about the law of the united states because the united states didn't exist at this point they're talking about the old testament law but they had arguments all the time about their law do we have arguments all the time about our law So they had arguments all the time about their law. They're trying to figure out how do we follow the law? What's the best way to follow the law? What are the laws? What should we do? How should we apply this? I don't know how this applies to me. Teacher, what is the greatest law? Jesus replied. Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. One caution that I want to give you on July 4th. Be careful what you worship. Be careful what you worship. I love our country. I love our nation. I thank God that my dad served our military. I thank God that many of you have served our nation. But be careful what you worship. Only God is worthy of worship. Our nation is great, but it is just one of many nations. And you have brothers and sisters who follow Jesus, who are in other nations, who would never pledge allegiance to our flag because they're not citizens of this nation. And you would never pledge allegiance to their flag because you're not citizens of their nation. But we all pledge allegiance to Christ because he trumps, he transcends nations. That's why I had a little bit of anxiety about singing God Bless America today. I think it's a beautiful song. But what if brothers and sisters from other nations were worshiping with us? What if they wanted to sing God Bless Romania, God Bless Mexico, God Bless Haiti, God Bless Nigeria, Because the reality is you and I have brothers and sisters in Jesus from all those nations and many, many thousands of others. And ultimately, our loyalty, our worship should be that of God alone. It's the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus said. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says this. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are our great responsibilities. If you follow Jesus, these are your responsibilities. And it's sad to me today because most of the discussions I hear inside and outside of the church have to do with rights. Well, I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. I have the right to do this. I can do that. I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, as long as I'm not infringing upon the rights of others. And I kind of think Jesus would come into that discussion and go, so glad you live in America. You live in the Disney World of world history. You are so blessed, but you have some responsibilities. You have a responsibility to love God, with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't even think most of us wrestle with that at all. I don't think any of us lay awake at night fretting with, did I love God with all I've got today? I know this because I don't lay awake at night fretting about this. I lay awake at night fretting about, do I have enough money for retirement? Is my kid going to get home safe? Am I going to be able to do what I want to do tomorrow without infringing on the rights of anybody? Is somebody going to tell me that I can't do that? Is somebody going to show up and take this from me? Those are the things I lay awake at night and worry about. The second thing I don't lay awake worrying about is, did I love my neighbor as myself? I usually lie awake at night because my neighbor's dog's barking at me and I think, who's going to take care of my stupid neighbor's dog? Because I have a right to sleep. And then Jesus, every once in a while, because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to think like this, every once in a while, his voice breaks in and he goes, hey, Stupid. That's how he talks to me sometimes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine if that had been what was in our Constitution. Imagine how different our world could be. You see, you could argue this is God's constitution because these are the greatest commandments. The greatest. Jesus actually goes on and he says, the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That whole two-thirds of the Bible that has all those big long words and all those crazy names and it talks about all sorts of weird stuff that's really old, And nobody knows what to do with it. Jesus summarizes and says, it all hangs on two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine five people walking out of here today taking this seriously. Just five. Because I know, Lord, I know not everybody's going to do this. Imagine five people walking out of here and taking this serious and deciding, you know what, tonight I'm going to lie awake and I'm going to ask God, I'm going to do what Saint Ignatius did years ago and I am going to do a self-examination. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to me ways that I did not love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to lay there. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, God, show me times that I did not love you. Show me times that I failed to love you with my all. Obviously, not everybody's going to do this, but imagine if five people did this. Imagine if five people late at night and before they went to bed, they asked that question and then they followed up with this question. Holy Spirit, show to me ways that I did not love my neighbor as myself. Obviously, this is a really high mark. Nobody's going to do this. Perhaps five will. But just imagine if five people did that. And then after they asked those two things, Holy Spirit, show me how I didn't follow you, wh- how I didn't love you with my whole heart, so mind, and strength. Holy Spirit, show to me how I didn't love my neighbor as myself. And then after they repented of all the things God showed them, because I believe God would show a myriad of things. And the reason I know this is because he would do that to me if I was brave enough to be one of those five people, then imagine that person confessed their sins and said, tomorrow, Holy Spirit, help me do better. Tomorrow, Holy Spirit, the Spirit that helped Jesus walk out of the grave alive, help me love God with my whole heart, so and strength, and help me love my neighbor as myself. Holy Spirit, those moments where I start to wander, would you just gently course correct me? Holy Spirit, those times when I am selfish, would you just gently course correct me? Holy Spirit, those times that I am saying, this is my right, I can do this, would you just gently correct me? Imagine if five people did that. I think those five people could change Ray. I, I think those five people could change Yuma County. reason I think five people could do it, because Jesus did it with, with 12. So maybe we need 13 or 14. But Jesus did it with 12. And they were pretty pathetic before he died for them. They were pretty lousy and lost before the Holy Spirit came and filled them. And then Peter got up on Pentecost. And the guy who had denied Jesus three times, who had let his doubt take him out, he got up in front of the Jews in Jerusalem in the temple just weeks after Jesus had been crucified and he got up and he said this. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and he is the savior of the world. And Jesus, whom you crucified, (laughs) wants to save you. And that speech, which you can read in about two to three minutes, saved 3,000 people. 3,000 people came to Christ all because of a fisherman who had let his doubt take him out, was later used by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit breathed courage into the man. We're talking a fisherman here, people. Those folks lie all the time. They tell fish tales. They don't know what they're doing half the time. This is a fisherman. And if Jesus can use him, there's hope for all of us. Just wondering if there'd be five. Five people. Five people who would today decide, I'm going to love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Why? Not because they can do it, but because the Holy Spirit living inside of them can help them do it just like he helped Peter and just like he helped the other apostles and just like he helped Paul and just like he helped Polycarp, who was the disciple of John and just like he helped Ignatius and I could give you a whole long list of other people that he helped and you and I have the chance to be added to that role. So what say you? Is it going to be about your rights? Is it going to be about your responsibilities? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you have blessed us with so many rights and better rights than any nation could ever grant us. You have given us the right of adoption as your sons and daughters, that everything that you have at your disposal is ours. We are heirs of your kingdom, of your promises, of your riches, of your glory. Thank you that you have also given us freedom of fear, of death. No nation can give that to its citizens. Thank you that we do not have to fear our death in the manner in which it will occur when it might happen, that you have freed us of that concern. Thank you that you have given us freedom from our sin, that no law can legislate this, that we are now new creatures in Christ and we can obey your laws freely. And Lord, I do pray we would take these responsibilities that you lay upon us seriously. That we would love you with everything we've got. And we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that doing these things, we would be able to change a life or two. Maybe a town. Perhaps a county. Holy Spirit, empower us to love you and to love our fellow citizens. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his light shine upon you and be gentle with you, be gracious to you. Now may the Lord turn his face toward you and bring you peace. May we love God and serve others. Amen.